Episode 60 of the Coys R Us podcast. Another another guy's night. Boys night up. part two. <laughs> Three dudes, one pod. There we go. Um, Kim's still out of town, so maybe she, uh, I don't know if she's coming back, guys, but if she isn't, uh, we, we'll continue to forge on with, without her until uh, she makes her glorious return to the States. In the meantime... A lot to talk about today with Spurs having another famous game against City. It seems like every time we play these guys, something weird happens. Uh, took the lead, lost the lead, came back and drew 3-3 at Etihad. Um, a lot of drama, a lot of goals. <laughs> and obviously we're going to talk primarily about Spurs, but one thing I wanted to note about City is um, they said at the end of the match that that was uh, the first time City had gone three consecutive draws since Pep's first season in charge of City, which was nearly seven years ago. So I don't know what to make of that. Um, they're still the best team in the league for my money, um, but they're in a questionable run of form against um, uh, some of the big six squads. So Jesse, I guess starting off, what did you take away from the game? What was what's your big headline if you were to summarize uh, the, the the three three draw? What did I take away? I took away one point uh, for <laughs> us, and I took yeah. away one. Uh, you know, and even and even uh, you know one one week closer to the end without City picking up any points against us uh, away with at least uh, four or five six people missing from the first choice eleven. So. Uh, inspired effort. Um, uh, never felt like we were we were out of it. You know, it was kind of an interesting game to watch. I think, although I predicted a two-two draw, um, was just like generally assuming that we were going to lose the whole time. I looked at the sports book before, and I think that City was like minus three ninety uh, when I looked. Um, and obviously, bet on Spurs double chance draw or tie plus two eighty five. So that was nice, but. Yeah, I mean, I was like just looking at him like there's no way we're going to win this game. Like I just said, a draw would be an amazing result. I am expecting us to to lose despite predicting the draw. Um, so I, I just thrilled, just thrilled with the effort. I mean, we came, we we blew a lead for the fourth consecutive game. Yep. Um, but then we came back um, for the first time in a while, obviously, since we've lost the last three. But we we've done that before. We've been behind early. Um, you know, I think, I don't know, four or five episodes ago, we had looked at the statistics that Spurs, um, had spent the most time, I think in the league ahead or even. So, you know, this game, we had to spend a lot more of the, of the time, um, even or behind in quite a bit of it. So, um, it's a comeback again. I mean, again, of all the fixtures, like city has undoubtedly been the best English team over the last five, six years. Um, but it's also the team that I feel the, 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 the top six team that I feel the most confident um, facing almost every time, just because again, four different managers, doesn't matter who's there. doesn't matter who's in the lineup. Uh, something about Spurs gets in a, to, to Pep's head or whatever, or we just show up. We have these different things, especially, um, you know, Decky. I think that I saw some stat that he's, maybe the only player in Pep's tenure to have um, multiple goal and assist games against him. Um, That's crazy. He had, had a goal and an assist 
the winning assist in the 95th minute uh, last February or, or two February's ago, whenever that was, when he came by, when he his first uh, first start for Spurs two seasons ago, but it was last calendar year. Yeah, and then um, uh, and then the winner in the you know 90th or whatever it was there. So uh, yeah, it's um, uh, it's great. It was uh, yeah, I take a point away, and I think that um, you know. Uh, one of you guys had shared in the chat beforehand uh, uh, a quote about Ange, you know, saying saying before the the match, uh, you know, a couple of days before the match, but something to the effect of like, you know, look, we are who we are. Um, you know, whatever you believe in, it only gets tested in the toughest of times. It doesn't get tested when things are going well. You've got to be prepared in the tough times when you get scrutinized. Be prepared for that. Take it and show some backbone. And that's the way forward for us. And so. And big Ange is going to be a big Ange, uh, you know, no matter the situation, no matter the weather. And that's just that kind of determination I love. Again, at this point, I'm not saying forever. There could be times down the road where we're like, man, you know, it would have been nice to play for a draw, you know, here if we need a draw at some point in a knockout stage or something. But it was inspiring stuff. Um, well, just, I, I do want to get back to Ange. You'll see. Because obviously a lot of um, a lot of the way that we set up against City was different than how previous managers had done it. Um, but before we do that, you, you touched on the point that we seem to find more joy against City than most other teams. It For whatever reason, Spurs seem to be their bogey club, similar to the way that we always end up dropping points to Wolves for some strange reason. I feel like they're like we're their Wolves. Um, ben, what did you notice either in the game last night or just in general when we play City? Like, what is it about Spurs that just screws them up? I can't really give you a good answer to that. We're just somehow in Pep's head, it seems like. Um, I I have no idea why we have this much, uh, you know, success against City. It, it doesn't really make sense. I agree that we're, we are somehow their bogey team in the way that, like you said, Wolves is for us. West Ham is kind of like that for us sometimes. Um, yeah, Hopefully I'd not on Thursday. Yeah, no. I, I'd be curious to, to see, actually, like, I guess over the last, what, five years, who has taken the most points off the city. I would think it would be us. Um, yeah, but, I saw yeah, that no. stat it was. We had 18 um, in Pep's tenure. Nobody else. I think the next play, next is Liverpool was 16 or 17. And actually, I think it's five managers because Nuno got one win in there too. <laughs> so somehow even That's with right. uh, our like eight-game manager there, Nuno, uh, they still are managed to, uh, to you know, get some points off the of city. It's um, It's really bizarre. Um, in watching that game, though, I thought in that, especially what the last 30 minutes of the first half, we just it looked like we were turning the ball over constantly, like we could not dribble or pass out of their press. I mean, it was that was dire there. And it seemed um, it it seemed like it was going to we were going to get battered, to be honest. Uh, they missed a bunch of sitters, Holland in particular. I don't think that was the worst miss. That was the worst miss of the, of the, of the night. I mean, that's the thing, too. Like every time we play City, it does feel like they end up with like a crazy high XG. They end up with like three times as many shots as we do. And somehow we either win or draw. I mean, sometimes we lose too, right? We lost three nil. We lost four, two. Like it's not every single time, but the amount of times that we have gotten a result, despite the stats showing that we were getting battered throughout the entire match, it's kind of phenomenal because to your point, that first half, I mean, they could have been up three, one, easily um they had holland missed a wide open shot right in front of the box um a tap in essentially 
And then Doku had that. Yeah, he had that shot against the post. Um, And yeah, I mean, they're the goal that they scored that second that second goal. uh, I think it was Phil Foden. Um, They just kind of had some interplay in the box and, and tapped it over to him and then he knocked it home. It felt like that type of goal was coming <laughs> for, you know, like it was like it was a very city goal. It was very emblematic of their style and the way that they had been maintaining possession against us. And to our luck or whatever you want to call it, um, it really only came off that one time. Uh, the third goal they, they scored was uh, was after a turnover, a bad turnover from Basuma. And then the first goal was was an own goal. So. Really, despite them dominating a lot of the play, they really only had that one goal to show for it. Now, again, you score three goals at home, you're probably still supposed to win that game, but they gave up three. <laughs> so, yeah, um, for whatever reason against City, we just seem to be ultra clinical. Because, I mean, like you were saying, I think we only had what, like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 XG. Because, I mean, this did not seem <clears throat> because of the way the second half went, I think this the game didn't feel like some of the past games where it really felt like we escaped very luckily with a win or a draw. This one, I know that the expected goals don't tell us the story that way because of how many sitters they missed, mostly in the first half. I'd, actually, I'd like to see a half-by-half breakdown on expected goals there. But Yeah, they had, had two five seven, and we had 0-4-6. Yeah, 17 and, shots to our eight. Well, that's because we, we only had four shots on target. I mean, I think they only had four shots on target, too. That's right. Um, but... They had four big chances and we had one. Right. And it was that the sunny one or which one was the, what was, which one counts as our big chance there? Um, yeah, it's the sun one in terms of highest XG. Yeah. Sun's goal was, was only 0.18 though, in terms of, uh, the, that was our highest, uh, XG versus Rodri missed one at 74. That one he hit super high was 0.41. Um, they had another miss, um, Silva was, or no Holland in the in the twelfth minute, the one that we were talking about was point four nine. Yes, that that shot itself was about more than than Spurs had all day. Yeah, XG that's a uh, yeah. I mean the the goals that we you know the goals we scored were all very solid goals though. That the uh, the the sunny one obviously was that looked a lot more like we have the past couple of years. We're just under siege, but then we get the ball and are able to counter really quickly and. It, if we are able to 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 get past their press quickly, then all of a sudden there's two defenders back there. They weren't even defenders, I think. It was Doku uh, trying to track back to to uh, defend Sun. Uh, special mention to Brian Hill on that one, by the way, because that that little turn in his own penalty. Oh box, yeah, and then yeah. That, the, <laughs> that turn and then that oh, pass boy. to, to Kulusevski. And then when when, when Kulusevski first hit that, I was like, "What are you doing?" And then all of a sudden, yeah. Sonny's somehow getting on the end of it. It was a uh, it was fun to watch. It was like um, he was inside Doku, seconds. and then he got outside of him once yeah. he saw the where the ball was going to bounce. It was, I, it was a top class. For, yeah, and I guess it it helped him that he was playing against somebody that was not a natural defender. Obviously, it was pretty evident there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, thought was, Doku kind of had a miserable game. I mean, he did have a shot that, for all intents and purposes, probably should have gone in. Um, but other than that, I thought Poro did a pretty good job on him, and he ended up getting pulled early for Grealish. Um, so you know, it was there was related though, right? I have no idea, but I think that's what they were saying. I know Grealish but, scored, so it was it was a good sub by Pep either right. way. But yeah, no, it was a, another crazy game. Um, 
obviously very pleased with the result. And the second half is just, I can't believe that we looked like that against City at City, missing half of our starting lineup, playing no recognized central defenders. Um, yeah, it's uh, these last couple of weeks. It was almost actually, it was almost a, a mirrored version of what happened against us uh, or with, with us against Villa last week, where yeah. we outplayed them and then we went away. I, I saw actually Pep made some comments after the game. <laughs> Excuse me after he seemed to have calmed down a little bit. And I thought it was, you know, it was interesting to hear him talk about how he said, like, in every other sport, basically, if you look at the stat sheet, you can pretty much tell who the winner is. But that's just not the way football works. That's right. It's just, it's, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but it's the one game where variance is such a huge deal. Luck, whatever you want, whatever it is, um, you can just dominate another team and then lose one nothing. You know, and you just don't see that in other sports. I mean, I think that's also the magic of the game, and that's also yeah. – a part of what makes every instance, every decision so important because it is a fairly low scoring game. And so um, every chance that you get at putting the ball in the back of the net, obviously just matters so much more than like basketball where you're putting the yeah. ball in the net every 20 seconds. Yeah. Your margin um, for error is tiny, you know? I mean, I think a lot of the conversation going into the game and, and probably even during the game, at least on the American broadcast, was around Ange Ball, his tactics, and whether or not that would work against Man City. And similarly to when we played Arsenal away earlier this season, a lot of the punditry was basically saying, like, they can't play like this against Arsenal. They're going to get battered. Um, we were able to steal a draw away. Uh, same thing happened against City. Um, a lot of the pundits basically saying, like, this can't work, especially now because they don't have the players that they need to be able to pull that system off. And on the one hand, you know, the pundits were not completely wrong because City could have scored five goals and they would have battered us. But they didn't for whatever reason. And we got a result and we stopped a three-game losing streak. And so I wonder... I guess this is a two-part question. Like, I think on the one hand, obviously, the Spurs fan base is completely all in on Ange Ball, not only because it's getting results, but also because it's it's fun as hell to watch. But I do wonder at what point the rest of the sports world, or at least the football world, is going to, like, catch on to the fact that, like, hey, like, maybe this actually works. Even watching the game um, on the American feed, like there was a, a two-man commentating booth and one of the guys was, I don't remember what their names, but one of the play-by-play -play guys was basically commenting on the fact that like, hey, I, I see that he keeps trying to play it out in the back, but it's kind of a hot mess, especially in the first half. They keep trying to play out the back especially and it's not, Emerson it's not working. <laughs> yeah, Emerson and Bazuma was, was also very poor. Yeah. Um, and so... It's like, you know, I understand he's like sticking to the system, but maybe he needs to just have a cario like send it a few times just so that they're not constantly putting the players under pressure. And what we saw against City and what we've seen in previous matches, and I think I actually kind of emblematic of how our season has progressed from Brentford until now has been that ability to kind of grow into the system where some of those touches that seem a bit nervy in the fifth or sixth minute, by the time you get to minute 76, um, they're playing with a lot more confidence. They're able to play through the press a lot easier. And I think some of the things that Ange has been saying, even since preseason, is to his point of like, 
the only way that guys are going to be better at it is to keep doing it. So no, I'm not going to bail them out by asking them to do something differently because this is the only way that they're going to like get comfortable playing the system. And if that means that we can see the goal, that's fine. As long as they're doing what I ask, then they'll know what not to do the next time. And I, I do wonder, I mean, I understand that some part of sports punditry is just saying things to get people to react to it. But I do wonder at what point people from other fan bases or just neutral pundits in general will start to recognize that like there is a method to this madness because it still feels like it hasn't really clicked yet. I really think, and I, I said this in our chat group, but if not for that Kuliseski header in the 90th minute, I really think that we would have hit a tipping point in terms of uh, the generally the media's criticism of Ange Ball, saying that it's too naive. If, if, if we had lost even just 3-2 the exact same game, just say Kulu, that header goes just wide or whatever happens. I just, I, I think that the, I mean, this is, so to your point with the way that the media works, it's so reactionary, but I think that there would have been a whole of uh, trying to pick apart us playing this way had the result not gone the way it did right at the very end. And I mean, I'm very, That's very glad. True. I'm, I'm extremely glad that the narrative is keeping the, the, the way it is because uh, I think that both for the media, but also a huge contingent of Spurs fans you know, that gives Ange extra credit in the bank, basically. He, uh, I, I think that you would have had some fairly unruly fans um, with four losses in a row and then playing, in some people's opinions, naively against, uh, you know, a superpower where we're down to bare bones in terms of our, our bench. I mean, did you see who, like, who was on our bench at the end? Our subs It were, was lean. It was um, very lean. <laughs> yeah, we had, like, nobody. And, uh, like, we have midfielders. That's it. We have almost no extra attackers and no extra defenders. Um, but, yeah, it was, what was it, Skip, Hoybier, uh We brought on Hoybier at halftime. Donley at the end. I'm trying to bring um, one other so It was also, um, it was also Skippy. It was also Donley and Richarlison. Richarlison, yeah, yeah. Which was odd. I didn't... I, I still don't understand that actually is so wait. He's well, at he, that point we were chasing a goal and no, no, not I think, that part. I, I was going to, sorry, I'm going on, on a little tangent here, but I don't understand. Has, he's, he had been carrying an injury for a while and then he decided that in the middle of the season is when to then get surgery, but then it's only like a four week turnaround. He hasn't even been out that long. I mean, I, I don't no know. Idea. I didn't look into the details of the surgeries. Obviously not all surgeries are, are created equal and, and those kind of things. So depending on what it was, if it was a little cleanup or something, or something yeah, it must've been uh, not nearly as, uh, not nearly as bad. Yeah, I think so. I think what the the other thing does with 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 consistently, constantly, always playing out of the back is uh, to your point, Joel. Like not only in within the game is everyone going to, uh, you know, potentially get more comfortable, um, you know, but uh, because you're having you're having the ball more often, um, and you're you're having the ball at your feet at, at generally more often. But also throughout the course of the season, like those nervy minutes, you know, touches in the fifth, sixth minute are going to look a lot better in match 20 than they were in, in yep. match five. And those really elite touches of the ball and decisions uh, at minute 60 are going to look so much better 10, you know, 10 match weeks into it. I just looked up very quickly um, the uh, the passes per game in the league uh, last last couple of years um, versus this year. And so uh, in the Premier League in... 2021-22, uh, 
we averaged uh, 452 completions on four on 544 passes. Uh, last year, we averaged uh, 420 completions on 517. This year, through 14 matches, so about a third of the season, we're at 524 completions on 611 passes. So we're passing it almost over 100 more times per match um, compared to that rate last year, right? So not everyone's getting that, but across the board, that means everyone's on average getting nine to 10 more touches a game. And especially, again, that's not everybody. Not, not that It's not as if Sonny's getting the ball so much deeper every time, but everyone's touching the ball more because those passes were playing out of the back. We're making some of those passes in the, and the percentage um, has gone up from, uh, from 83% two years ago. 81% last year, 86% this year. And that's going to happen when you're making some of those playing it out of the back passes, but that's going to get everybody more and more and more touches, right? It's like just more opportunities, more at bats, you know, a little bit of, of everyone having that so that you can get a sense of within the game as well as of, over the course of the season where, you know, at this rate, we're going to have played uh, a season, a Conte season's worth of passes probably by like match week 29 or 30. Yeah. And that's not as if passes make you that much more tired. So I think it's going to make you, get, again, more more feel, more confidence of the ball, right? Like when I played baseball in high school, I'd get nervous until the first ball that got hit to me. And then I felt good after that. The same kind of thing, I think, happens across a lot of players. Not that they're nervous, but like the more time you've got on the ball, the more time you have to, to build skills, feel more comfortable. So this this whole general style is going to have a so much better later in the games, later in the season, and, and later on in the end, of everyone just being so much more comfortable on the ball. Well, conversely, then we're not sitting deep defending all the time, which I feel like is just stressful and tiring. You know, I think it's, I think it helps both with their legs, but also the mentality to not have like this siege mentality all the time where you're just, I mean, especially you know, we, you know, we, we've already granted ad nauseum about Conte in particular, but Mourinho as well, where we were, we were, you know, just, defending deep for huge swaths of games um again going back to the the city game that the it was another kind of game of two halves because i think at halftime possession was like 70 30 and it finished 55 45 so i mean we didn't exactly dominate the second half but i mean we played pretty well especially again considering how many second third choice players we had playing against you know arguably or almost inarguably the best team in the world for the last you know few years um at their ground it was uh it was, it was pretty impressive and and again that like us possessing the ball more did i think take the pressure off of those the the defenders especially emerson and, and uh ben davies well i think even you know you talk about the tale of two halves and i think tactically there were some changes that Ange made number one was taking out Brian Hill and putting in Pierre. Um, but then even towards the end of the game, when he kind of recognized that Basuma was not in the best of his abilities, he got pulled later in the game. Um, Richarlison came on. And then also, I think prior to that, there was a sub for um, Skippy came on for Lacelso. And so I think in the first half, especially not only just in our inability to play out of the back, but also the way that they were so easily breaking our press um, for, I would even say the first 60 or 70 minutes of the game. Um, it just felt like it was so easy for them to 
play the way that they wanted to with very little resistance on our end. It felt like they were spending most of the game in the final third. And it really wasn't until that LaCelso goal where I feel like the game turned. Um, LaCelso had the tying goal in the 69th minute. And then I feel like the last 20 minutes of the game were a lot different than the first 20 minutes, even of the first half. Um, LaCelso, a player that there were a lot of question marks about. We talked about him on the pod, um, whether or not he would come good, whether or not he would even be on the team when we were talking about it back in in the summer. And now with James Madison's injury, he's gotten his opportunity and he scored in the last two games that he's that he started. Two thirds of his first goals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we we talk about the Argent Argentine Malbec, and it, it seems like it's 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 finally ready to get uncorked and yeah, the wine is flowing. Swirl it around the glass and take a big old sip. Yeah, I'm going to have to dust you, off that. I've got the Celso jersey in the closet. I'm going to have to dust that bad boy off. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a collector's item right there. Yeah. Jesse, what are you seeing in La Celso that either um, has been supporting the team or something that maybe is even surprising you in terms of what he's been able to bring to the side? It just feels a little bit more sure of himself. Um, yeah. out there and and it's weird because again this is as deep as the midfield's ever been uh not literally right now because of all the injuries but but still the, the 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 summer camp that he was shining in and the preseason he was shining in this is that one of the deepest midfields that we've uh probably the deepest midfield we've ever had um where there's competition for his spot and people that are you know in theory and on the in practice better than him on the field so but it still just seems more sure of himself. Maybe it was making some of those those deep runs when he was on uh, on loan and and playing in some big games. Um, you know, we've talked about this before with just regular types of work environments that we've all been in. Us and and listeners like sometimes the work environment, the way that the the pace of the office, those kind of things is. Um, uh, you're not doing a great job of and some of them that you fit really well. And so if it's Ange's philosophy or whatever, but yeah, LaCelso just seems a lot more um, sure of himself, uh, his skills, the play, his place, you know, and, and, the, and the team or whatever, but it just confidence is a hell of a drug. And he just seems a lot more confident in himself and, uh, and on the ball than he was before. Uh, and, and is making, you know, um, seems like he's making good decisions and and then also like getting a rewarder for that confidence with having, having two goals in the last couple of games after barely, you know, uh, penciling and he almost, and he almost had a third previously. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he's been, it's, it's kind of, I think it's building on that. He's, he's more sure of himself and then playing better and then leveling up that confidence and, and sureness of himself and, and, and looks terrific. I mean, you talk about the workplace analogy, and and one of the things that is often said is that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. So I do wonder how much his uh, newfound confidence has to do with the fact that he's being managed differently, uh, that we have a different type of manager um, at the club that, that we've had in previous seasons. And I think the confidence piece is is a big part because I, I remember, I mean, he hasn't played for us very much in the over the past three years. But in this, in the moments where he has played, um, especially shooting the ball, I felt like that was never a strength of his. It felt like a lot of the shots that he took at goal were not particularly strong. It seemed like he was almost like shooting because he had to, but not necessarily because he wanted to. Um, and they never really feel like they were threatening the keeper. And now we're seeing in two games back to back, 
one that was deflected in, fair enough. But the second one that was, I mean, dude, there's nothing you could say about the goal that he scored against City. And then even the strike that he had that got deflected out um, would have been on target. And who knows? Like, maybe that puts us up 3-2. And so I don't remember him even taking shots like that in previous seasons uh, where he would take these little pot shots and it just seemed like they never really were going to threaten. Um, now it feels like he's playing not only more confidently passing the ball, but but shooting. And that's, I think, a bonus for Spurs because I don't think that any of us came into this season expecting Gio Lacelso to be a significant goal threat um, or even a significant part of this team at all. And so if he yeah, continues I mean, I... to play at this at this level, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the Madisons and the Benson Kerrs come back because then you just have more options to play around with. Yeah, I remember in the in preseason in the summer when we uh, we were hopeful of a Ndombele renaissance, and we talked a little bit about Geo, but Ndombele got a lot more of the attention and thought, I think. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it is it's pretty pretty interesting to see the Celso. I mean, he's been here for like five years, and to just now start having this kind of impact after you know that amount of time and all that time away on loan, it's, it's good good to see. It, it made me think of something else though too is. Uh, during our, you know, first eight or 10 games where we were, we were, you know, flying high and we talked a lot about how thin the squad was and kind of, I guess, who the, the, the most irreplaceable players were. And Madison is one we brought up a lot and Basuma and, um, Vandeven. I mean, there's a lot of players on our team that are obviously integral to it, but I would say uh, between Gio and Kulisevsky, who now for two games in a row has looked great playing in the middle of the park. I know he he kind of swapped out a little bit once they, there was the Hill sub, uh, substitution, but he's playing I'm on that right wing when he scored the tying goal. So I'm I'm not mad at that either. Right, he's, the guy's got a motor, man. For him to be doing that in the 90th, he doesn't minute. get tired. He doesn't get tired. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I noticed about Kulisevsky is especially against a team like City where they have a lot of physical but yet still technical players. Like, I feel like Kulisevsky is one of the only players on our team that can not, like, he can't get muscled off the ball, right? Like, even if you look at, like, a Hill or a Sonny or even sometimes Emerson, like, I feel like they can kind of get imposed upon by other players and that never happens to Kulisevsky um and so like having that that option on our team just somebody that can hold up the ball and he's not really going to beat players with foot speed and I think sometimes he knows how to position his body to hold the ball and kind of like uses the momentum of a player running into him to kind of bounce off of them and and use the angle in his in his um advantage it kind of reminds me of like you know, those savvy point guards who like know how to create contact and then get the and one when they go to the rim. Like, I feel like he kind of has that kind of sense about him. He's and, a big um, b-ball fan. Maybe we, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we saw with the, with the LeBron James celebration yesterday. Um, he is a, he, yeah, he has like a little bit of a, a heavy point guard game, um, uh, to his, to the way that he, he plays football is interesting. Kind of reminds me of Dembele a little bit too. Not not quite as dribbly as him, but in terms of just the strength to to, to hold people off that way and to kind of ghost around people a little bit. He he because he obviously like you just said he's not the quickest. Um, 
but he, you know, he's not beating people on the dribble regularly exactly, but he does some, he's able to, to, I guess, shift the hips or something and kind of get a little bit of space there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's coming around. Um, I, I hope to see more of him midfield, to be honest. I, I think he, to me, he looks much more dangerous there than on the wing. I feel like when he's on the wing, he seems somewhat one dimensional because he, he he wants to take it on his left so often that he'll cut to the byline and then bring it back and try to put a deep cross in or do his kind of trademark kind of from the edge of the box, you know, that, that curling shot at goal, but in the middle, it seems like he pops up a lot more, uh, you know, in different mm-hmm. scenarios and you get to see his skill set kind of. Um, and I think that's also on, a on testament a to the Ange system, too. right? Like the mm-hmm. way that he, sets the players up is for them to all kind of end up in the box. Um, and so we'll see Poro in there. We'll see Emerson in there. We'll see, you know, Kulisevsky in there and Brennan Johnson. And you, it's not you as formulaic. You Poro and Udagi in there. I, right, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of hilarious how frequently you see our fullbacks in the box. I mean, we knew this about his his system is that he plays those kind of inverted fullbacks and they play almost as midfielders. But – they get high up the pitch like frequently. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's just a crazy system, but it's really fun to watch. And yeah, we haven't, I mean, knock on wood, hopefully no jinx is here, but uh, we haven't seen that. We haven't, this is the game that we would have seen us really get punished. And we almost did in the first half. I mean, certainly could have missed a bunch of sitters, but um yeah, we we haven't really you haven't really seen us that vulnerable like to counterattacks, even with as high up the pitch as we're playing with, you know, what I don't even know what the the, the phrasing would be, but like what's the opposite of ten men behind the ball? You know, like that's like, <laughs> we're just like constantly with everybody up in their third or their half. Well, it's interesting that you talk about getting beat um, on a counter because. You know, with all of the conversations that we've been having about VAR and how VAR is ruining the game and all the constant stoppages, there were actually very few stoppages in the game yesterday. And yet, despite there being really no VAR instances, um, by the end of the game, there was still a very controversial referee decision. Um, And so towards the end of the game, um, there's a bad slash tactical slash I don't even know it's a bad tackle that I think it was Emerson fouled Harland Emerson. he fell to the ground or something at that point <laughs> yeah he, he fell to the ground but then quickly popped back up to play the ball out uh, to Grealish who was onside and basically went past our back line Davis was furiously chasing after him to try to close down on him before he got to goal. And then all of a sudden you heard a whistle and the referee stopped the play and called the ball back. City players were furious. Pep was furious, yelling at the fourth official. Um, and they called the ball back. They stopped the breakaway and secured the point for, for Tottenham. So, I mean, is it, I guess my question is about the play itself, but also just about the refereeing and the decisions in this league. Like, is are we ever going to have a normal game where the refs don't play a factor? Yeah, it was a bit 
Not a bit. It was a lot shocking. Uh, I was just like, okay, here comes Big Dick Vic to save the game for us when I saw um, Grealish just flying through. And again, from that very poor angle for the referee to, to be the one to call it, the only logical thing was that he thought that, that Grealish was offside. So that's why he said, okay, let's stop this. But I don't know how you don't look to one of your linesmen or if they're all on a microphone and, and headpiece together, he just says, you know, like let it play or something. I mean, this was um, uh, truly shocking decision there. Uh, I don't know what it's going to, uh, what's it going to amount to, but I saw a story earlier today that said that um, uh, city was being charged with. Um, yeah. I think they're getting contact. There's no punishment. It's just money going to be fined or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. The, the sheik, the sheik will find something in his, uh, in his, uh, you know, one of his 18 bedrooms uh, couches um, to, you know, some, some couch change, some cushion change to, to pay for it. So there's not anything real that's coming out of it, but, no, I mean, it's shocking. It's, it's, um, uh, you know, I think I've shared this, this stat before, but one of my wife's friends, uh, works with the, the referee. The, I don't know if it's the FA or whoever runs the, the referees, but, um, he said that something in somewhere in the range of like 200 to 300 decisions, um, a game, a referee, mm-hmm. or 200 times, uh, 300 times a game, a referee is making a decision whether where to go, what to call. Not that there's 200 potential fouls a game, but there's there's constantly, right? So especially late in games, again, these people are humans and there's a human element to the the, uh, uh, players on each side, 11 on each side. So why wouldn't there be a human element to the the referees as well? Um, And to make a call like that, it, it was still surprising just because the general consensus of late has been like, let it play, right? I mean, a couple of those whistles, um uh and not even just to let it play like you had already let it play because the foul happened five seconds before you blew the whistle play right and like some of those whistles i think in the villa match were just like okay these were these were a little bit late and even some you see on these calls were like um i forget what match i was i was watching the other day but there was one that was like uh, a guy was was uh was very clearly um it may have been in uh, in the MLS match, um, but there were, the guy was like a, a foot and a half offside from uh, inside the box. And they just like, well, let's just let it play until the whistle blew. Like, why even give fans a false sense of hope there Like, when it's that late? But like, it just, I guess to the point is it's, it was generally surprising. Like you said, Joel, he let it play. And then all of a sudden he's like, let me stop letting it play. That was kind of a rash decision, obviously benefited Spurs in there. So I won't complain about it too much, but it was still just a little bit like, you know, I mean, without the decision, we don't get all of the memes of City players and Pep being upset. So that alone is worth it. If not for the 3-3 result, um, being able to to take the piss out of uh, City fans is, is, you know, all five of them. Um, it's, it's always fun. Well, one other thing, it, makes, it, it brings back to me, and I think we've had this discussion before, um, but why? All right, so how many officials are there in, in the NBA? Like for a single three. game, the three. I know yeah, the NBA has, the NBA game has three refs. Yeah, right. So I know you have sideline. And, and the NFL must have what six or eight. Like I don't even know how many they have. But the pitch compared to the NBA, you have eleven v eleven instead of five v five. And then I don't remember how big a pitch is or the the minimum size of it. But why are there not at least three referees running around? Why is there one dude that's tasked with like it doesn't make any sense? And and, and then to your point earlier about like are we going to see any? games without some kind of uh controversy referee wise is now they're talking about expanding bar which is like 
the thing that nobody, not a single person is asking for. Yeah, maybe point, fix like, it before you start expanding it. Maybe actually yeah, like, get it to a point where it's right before you start thinking about ways to <laughs> fill it out even more. It doesn't make right, sense. so it's like if they had multiple officials on the field, I feel like that would make a lot of sense. Then you could see them confer with each other to, to make sure they got calls right on the field. Or else if they really want to go all in on bar, just take the fucking ref out of the game and just have it only officiated just via video and not even like, I mean, I know that that's a little ludicrous because you have to have somebody that are cool tempers and everything else. But I just don't understand why you have one dude that's responsible for making all these, you know, split second, you know, inch, you know, duh, trying to think of a way to phrase it, but to 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 be in charge of making all those calls that happen so quickly, right. potentially far yeah. away where he doesn't have a good view, everything else, it just seems silly to me to not have, you know, more guys out there doing that and working together to to make sure that the the game is well refereed. Well, you know what always cracks me up is when <laughs> I was just laughing about this uh yesterday with the with the city match, uh when Pep gets upset about the call and then he's like yelling at the fourth official and then the fourth official is just standing there like man i don't know um and then he's making subs and then grealish is coming over there and he's yelling at the fourth official and i'm just like it's always funny to me when when managers go and yell at the fourth official because he literally doesn't have anything to do with the decisions that are being made i've never seen a fourth official make a call i've never seen a fourth official stop a game to go talk to the head ref and say, actually, you know what? You might've got that one wrong. He's Even just a guy, judge, just a guy to get yelled he at. He just like holds up the stoppage time. Yeah. yeah. But it's like whipping yeah. boy that holds up the stoppage time. Right. It's just like, what, what is the, what is the motivation or what is the objective or end goal when you yell at the fourth official? Like he's not going to be able to do anything. He, you might as well yell at one of the fans in the front row. Yeah, but see, so why not just have a ma- uh, head official, the head referee that does his same job he's doing now, but then add an extra official in each half that just stays in that half and is able to, to get an extra view? It, it doesn't seem like it would be that complicated. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, I actually, while we're talking about refs and VAR, I actually had um, an idea, I think last week. Um, I don't know if I if I shared it with you guys, but I'm, I'm going to just roll it out here. This is pretty American idea, but this is, uh, you know, three Americans who are talking football. So whatever. I might as well roll it out here. But I think Dr. about Joel. Right. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think about the way that the NFL and the NBA have used instant replay and they kind of have a system through which coaches can challenge plays. And so my proposal is that the Prem League should initiate a coach's challenge for VAR. What that means is throughout the course of a game, there will be no VAR reviews unless a coach challenges a call, which means it's back to the 2000s. There's a ref. There's two line judges. They make calls because they're referees who are calling a game. And if something seems egregious to a manager where he's, jumping up and down and he's yelling at the fourth official, he could just challenge the call. They'll VAR review it. And if he's right, they overturn the call. If he's wrong, whatever. He loses the challenge. And then he has nothing to complain about at the end of the game when they're bitching and moaning in the post-game press conference. You get one challenge per half. So at max, 
any given game would only have four VAR reviews. And if it's not challenged, there's no VAR, and you just keep playing. Would significantly cut down on all of the stoppages that games are having nowadays. And it gives the Premier League the wherewithal to continue using this technology that they've already spent all this money on. We know they're not going to get rid of VAR, but maybe we can at least cut down on how much is being used. And on top of that, you give more autonomy to the managers because then they have some say into what they're seeing on the sideline. Maybe the games, I mean, I, I don't disagree with the idea overall, but like, for instance, in, in what we're talking about here, that that play at the end of the game, would that be challengeable? Because, I mean, you can't restart that. Like, you have to basically never blow the whistle and let everything play through for that to happen. Well, yeah, I, I think that situation certainly would not be challengeable. But I think some of the situations like fouls in the box, whether or not somebody was offside. Um, I mean, I think about the game that we had against Liverpool. Like, <laughs> that is a 100% a goal. They didn't allow it. And Jurgen Klopp could just be like, hey, I'm challenging that goal. Well, that's the thing is that one did get overturned. It just got fucked up in the overturning of it. There was a, a <laughs> communication screw up. Well, but yes, it, that's true. That's true. Was, I think that the way to me that it would make the most sense is you have VAR come, VAR comes in only for, I mean, they're trying to, they, they have tried to do this, but only for calls that are, just objective right so like was he off sides was did the ball go past the line you know like that kind of call reviewing calls for like a red card or for a penalty those are subjective calls in the first place so right i feel like in some of these scenarios you probably just want to stick with what was called on the field uh, which goes back to what i was saying is maybe have more eyes on the field so that you could have people you know live replaying you know discussing that what, what actually happened um I think it makes sense some some of these ones where they do have the ref go over and check to see the the obvious error to overturn. Um, I mean, the problem but, with that is it feels like whenever the VAR tells the head ref to go look at the screen, yeah, it's, he it's, it's, it. it's pretty much an indication right. of, like, you got it hey, wrong. Hey, buddy, you might want to go fix right. that. Right. Yeah, it's like there was a, the, the, the Chelsea match. I don't know if you guys saw that, but there was a, a, a penalty call towards the end of that game on Mudrick that you could – it was a 50-50 call. But there's no way in hell you can tell me that that was an obvious error because it was a it, it, it the call could have gone either way. So I just don't see how the VAR can say that this is an obvious error and we need to overturn it. I mean, there was no VAR in this game, thank God. And uh, you know, we can only hope that it will get better. We've had a couple of dodgy decisions go in our favor so far this season with Liverpool and City, and so you can only imagine that. The way that football karma works, uh, we're going to get screwed over with some of these calls at some point before the season's over. So um, our time is coming, but it hasn't come yet. And and thinking back to that Liverpool game and the City match, we've now played all of our top six rivals or what we call the big six. Um, we've now played them all once. Um, drew with Arsenal, beat Liverpool, beat United, drew with City, and our only loss came in that home match. Um, with Chelsea where we had two guys sent off. And so I think, you know, that's as good as you could probably expect from the first five matches against who are supposed to be uh, your, your biggest five rivals. Um, we'll obviously have to play them again in the reverse fixtures in the second half of the season. Um, but like I said, Ange Ball seems to be working for now. 
This is Koi's R Us podcast. Um, as I said, it's three of the four today. Uh, we're we're holding it down for Kimmy while she's uh, vacationing out in Belize. We have a Twitter account as well as an Instagram account. Uh, you can follow us at Koi's R Us podcast. And we look ahead to Thursday. We've got some midweek matches. There's actually some matches coming on on, on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. But we play Thursday back at home against West Ham United, um, who who Ben noticed uh, noted uh, is is one of our potential bogey teams. Should we be at all nervous about West Ham going into this game? No, it's a derby <laughs> still, but um, I feel wildly overconfident after that result at city. So no, I'm not worried. It's funny because even looking at the set of games that we had upcoming and we were looking at, you know, we've got this game against city and then we've got the Newcastle game and we had the Villa game and the West Ham game was just kind of the one that nobody was really talking about or thinking about. And yeah, yeah, we play West Ham as well. But after that, we're going to play Newcastle and then we have to go away to, to forest and, I think this is a game that is kind of being overlooked. And I think had we not gotten at least a point away at City, the enormity of this game would have been that much larger because then you're going in and saying, all right, well, now we've lost four in a row. We're going back home. We're playing a London derby. We have to win this game. And honestly, this does still feel to me like a game that we have to win um, because a draw away at City feels like a win. A draw at home against West Ham would feel like a loss. True. West Ham is currently ninth in the league. They are on 21 points. Tottenham's fifth in the league with 27 points. Um, So we have a six-point lead on them. They've won six games, drew three, and lost five. They've had kind of an inconsistent run of form um, this year. Obviously, they lost Declan Rice, which was a big blow for them. They've been cleaning up in the uh, Europa League. They've been doing really well there, but their form has not translated to the Premier League. Um, last time out this past weekend, they had a 1-1 draw um, against Crystal Palace. So I, I, I was I was close with my prediction last, um, last week. You know, I, I had us winning the game, maybe a little foolhardy, but we could have won. I would have looked like a genius if we had. So West Ham at home. Yeah, I mean, I was being a, a little flippant and just saying, no, we don't have to, anything to worry about. But I do think that, uh, you know, I mean, we're getting Romero back is one thing. Our defense That's should, right. Finally. should uh, be a lot more solid. I'm guessing it'll be Romero and Davies. Um, and then, yeah, West Ham just, like you like you noted, uh, you know, losing Rice. I think Mikel Antonio is out the match and he seems to always score against us so that's a positive um but yeah West Ham is Jamaican international right there baby right yeah West Ham has looked a little flat this year compared to the last couple and it probably is again that they lost their best player um and one that was probably fairly central to their ability to play the way they were playing um but yeah I see this I won't say it'll be comfortable exactly but I really hope that we can not just score one early, but I would just love to see a score two and then kind of cruise control it from there. So I am going to pick uh three one Spurs. I like that. I had a similar idea. Um, I do think this is a, a, a game that we should be able to 
win comfortably. I think the home fans deserve it. Um, I think we've lost our last two home matches. Uh, there's been no booing. There's been no turning on the manager. Um, and the home fans have, have continued to to root for the team. I think everybody's bought into the system and, and believes in what's happening right now. And so it'll be nice to to kind of give them a home win against a London rival uh, before we go back on the road the following weekend. So, yeah, um, I think we're in a good way right now. Romero coming back is going to be a huge boost. Looks like Richarlison's back, at least on the bench. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to go 3-1 as well. Uh, I love the optimism. I, I think the biggest thing that Romero will will bring back is just some some tidiness on the set pieces. Uh, set piece led to to Sonny's own goal. Uh, set piece was the the winning goal against uh, Wolves. Uh, I thought that it was a set piece goal in in Villa, maybe as well. Um, but uh, you know, just we've talked about that before. Just having having a a center back, an actual center back there to to be the one to to call out. Um, you know, responsibilities and, and where the line is and all that stuff. Not that no one was doing it um, previously, but I just feel like having someone that's used to doing that, like a, like a Romero or someone will be, um, will be helpful there. So uh, loving the optimism. I think I'll join it, uh, but just for score prediction standings, I will go different um, and I will pick a, a 2-0 win. At first, when you said four, I thought you meant F O U R. I was about to say, oh, all right. <laughs> no. Jesse's going for it. Yeah. First clean sheet. Uh, we've been five on the bounce without a clean sheet um, after uh, after having a couple consecutives there in early October. So uh, we're bringing it back. Clean sheet, FC. But we keep scoring first and then conceding. And, you know, it would be nice to. You know, just carry on. The last uh, clean sheet we had was was at home against Fulham. And that was a pretty boring game. I wouldn't mind another boring game on Thursday if it means that we win. So let's hope for it. Uh, I don't know that we'll have an opportunity to come back again after the match because as soon as the Thursday game is over, three days later, we're back with another game um, against Newcastle on Sunday the 10th. So... Maybe we do predictions for that game, too, because I don't know that we're going to have another episode between those two matches. Um, I think that's going to be a tougher game. Newcastle uh, recently had a uh, 1-0 win over United, but they lost Nick Pope, who's now supposed supposed to be out for the next five to six weeks. So they'll be playing their backup keeper. Um, Newcastle is kind of a balls-to-the-wall team, uh, but they seem to be a lot scarier at home than they are on the road. Um, I I think we can win this game, but I think uh, I'm not picking three <laughs> one. Uh, Newcastle's good, man. Like, I've I've watched I've watched a fair <laughs> amount of them this year, um, and they're, they're... Well, they they dominated United too. That was I mean that yeah, line they should have scored more than United. Sure. But they're also they're also undergoing a bit of an injury crisis themselves, and they have European football to talk about too. So yeah, I think I think that it might be. A, good timing for us at least um based on newcastle's injury crisis not our own but that hopefully we can uh yeah i think that they're they're there to be gotten for sure but you said it, the game is at newcastle right no it's home we've got two home oh, games back to back um and then the okay. following weekend we're on the road against forest so i think for this one i'm gonna go nervy 2-1 win um a part of me almost wants to say we might draw but i think 
just the home crowd. I'm going to give the home crowd uh, the, the, the 12th man award and hopefully they can um, spur the, the team on to that extra winning goal. So I'm going to go two one uh, for the Newcastle game. That's going to be the same for me. Yeah. I'm going to go two one as well. I think for the, for the very same reasons, I think uh, especially coming off a, a, a midweek uh, derby win against West Ham, the, the, Stadium will be raucous and rocking against Newcastle. Newcastle's got some really, really impressive results this year, as we discussed, both in in Europe and uh, and domestically. They're they're a tough team. I think that you know if you guys saw that there was a Trippier talking to some fans uh, a couple matches ago. I want to say they lost to Sheffield or Burnmouth or somebody uh, a couple weeks ago, Burnmouth. and there was a clip of um, of Trippier just being like, you know who do we have? Like, look, look around, look at the lineup. We're all hurt. Everyone's hurt. Like we're doing our best right now. So like you said, there's definitely some, uh, some challenges there as well. Um, really good team. Uh, but I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think we get back on the, on the right foot. Um, again, December is still an absolute gauntlet. We've still got, even after those two, we've still got uh, one, two, three, four more games. So there's still six games left to play in December. Quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of fixtures as there always is around the holidays. Um, in the Premier League, but I think we uh, we started off on a on a good fit coming off this draw with a couple of victories. Yeah, the weird thing is after the crazy December schedule, we have two matches, two Premier League matches in January. <laughs> yeah. So it's about to get very light. After and we've that. and but, we got our FA Cup draw. We've got Burnley, so Burnley, uh, yeah. that's going to be January sixth, I believe. Um, looking at Newcastle's team, they do have a ton of injuries. Nick Pope, as I said earlier, Dan Byrne is hurt. Matt Targets hurt. Sven Botman's hurt. Sean Longstaff is hurt. Um, Joe Willick is hurt. Jacob Murphy's hurt. Callum Wilson's hurt. Harvey Barnes is hurt. So you know they've got <laughs> they've got a lot of players out as well. Yeah, they're right up with us in terms of uh, injury crises. So their midweek yeah. match is going to be against Everton um, away at Goodison. After which they come to London to play Spurs, and then after Spurs um, they'll have a Champions League match against AC Milan. So. Um, they they're gonna have a, a rough set of fixtures coming up, and and hopefully Everton can give them um, some trouble where the you know maybe they're a little bit more rattled before they come to to Tottenham. Yeah, hopefully will be the game that they're overlooking. Um, but yeah, I I, I would have gone with two one, but I'll I'll do the same as Jesse just for for competitiveness sake, pick a different scoreline, and I will. I'll Standings go, are getting tough here, man. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna lose anyway, but I'll go three two. All right. Another high-scoring affair. I think it's gonna a be couple open. wins. We we get six points in three days. Can't beat that, right? Sure. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Come Spurs. On you Spurs.